Hello and welcome to That's Hockey Talk, coming to you a little bit later in the week. Uh, myself, of course, Nick Marauda, joined as always by my partner out there on the West Coast, AQ Shipley. AQ, how you doing, buddy? Good, brother. Let's get this thing rolling. Yeah, we're going to dive right into it because we got a lot to unpack. We're going to go over the MVP, the Hart Trophy race. Uh, we got to talk about the NHL unveiled their plans for the two hub cities and kind of gave us a sneak peek into what life's going to be like for the players up there. Uh, Seattle, the new team in the league, unveiled their logo. Uh, the Kraken, you ready to release hate the it. Kraken? We'll get Fucking to that. Hate it. We'll get to that in a second, and then we're going to go through uh, all the play, the play in qualifying rounds, and uh, give you who we're betting on and who we're taking to win in those series. All right, let's start with the Hart Trophy because this was just announced earlier this week. Uh, it's a, it's a three horse race as always, but we got Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, and Artemi Panarin. And we ran a little Twitter poll on Twitter at That's Hockey Talk and got you guys participating in there to see who you thought was going to come home with the heart. And to my surprise, uh, Nathan McKinnon won with 43% of the vote, uh, Dreisaitl in second with 34% of the vote, and then Panarin in third with 23% of the vote. Do you agree with that, AQ, or you see things differently? I was a hard Dreisaitl vote. I was a hard Dreisaitl vote. I thought what he did this year was incredible. Granted, he's got one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world, on his on his wing, right? So, um, you know, I think I think what he was able to accomplish this year, I think what they were able to accomplish as a tandem, but I think more importantly what he was able to do, at the end of the day, he still has to finish. He still has to be able to put points on there, and he had one heck of a year this year. I agree, and uh, I'm not one to knock a guy for having help, as we've seen. We're Penguins fans. Everybody knows this Crosby and Malkin. It gets brought up all the time. But, you know, McDavid missed some time this year, as he seems to always miss a decent chunk. No, he, he tends to always miss a chunk of the season at some point in time. And Dreisaitl didn't miss a beat, if arguably played better. Uh, I mean, listen to some of this. He led the NHL, obviously, 110 points, 43 goals, 67 assists, and only 71 games. That's nothing to sneeze at. That is damn impressive. Uh, he was first in points per game at 1.55, assists and power play points with 44, and his even strength points 66 even strength points. That is a big deal. That's what people want to see. Your, your production at even strength was second only to Artemi Panarin, the bread man. 16 power play goals. This was the one that got me. Edmonton was 24-5-2 when Dreisaitl scored a goal this season. 13-20-7 when he didn't. Uh, and, of course, they were fifth in the Western Conference, so they were making the playoffs. Artemi Panarin, arguably, you could, you could say, was the most valuable player to his team this season because he completely changed the face of the Rangers. They're obviously in an open rebuild. But they finished... In 11th, and maybe they they climbed their way back into a playoff spot because they were one of the hottest teams uh, when the season was forced to an end early because of the virus. But maybe they don't, and you, I just don't see. I, I'm not a fan of giving the trophy to a team or a player on a team that finishes outside the playoffs. Now Panarin, of course, nothing to sneeze at. Third in the league with 95 points in 69 games. Uh, first. In even strength points, we just talked about 71. And first among forwards and plus minus, if you put stock in that. Again, nothing to take anything away from McKinnon, who was fifth in the league with 93 points in 69 games. Third in even strength points. Helped the Avalanche the second best record in the Western Conference. If I got a vote, it would go Dreisaitl, Panarin, McKinnon. In these circumstances, in the regular season circumstances where uh, the playoffs are only the top eight seeds, it would go Dreisaitl, McKinnon, Panarin. I like Dreisaitl. I mean, I'm still going Dreisaitl. I think um, I think MVP is always a, an interesting topic, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think 
you just brought it up. I think a lot of people bring it up. Like, I think so many people bring up the fact that MVP should be the most valuable player to his team or whatever, right? So, at the end of the day, I think it's the most valuable player, period, right? Like, I don't, I don't yeah. care if he, if Panarin, I understand he had a great year, and yes, he was the most valuable player to his team. We get that and understand what he was able to do and why the, or why the Rangers were successful this year were a big part because of him. But what Drysdale did, it also drove his team as well, right? I mean, it may not – like, he, always, he obviously had uh, McDavid as well, but like you said, and you brought up those points, when he scored a goal – they won. Yeah. When he didn't, they didn't. So, you know, you you could argue that, you know, he was the most valuable player to his team as well. That's so, uh I, I mean take take Dreisland off the Oilers this year and do they still make the playoffs? Maybe probably not. And if they do, it's it's close, I'm assuming, because Connor McDavid is still arguably the most talented player in the league, if not the best player in the league, some would say. Uh many would say. Uh, you know, we're Crosby guys still. We gotta hold down the fort. Yeah, of course. But of course. uh it, I mean, the Rangers without Panarin, they're they're bottom feeding. Uh, I think the Oilers really struggle to make the playoffs without Drysaddle. McDavid picks up some of the slack, but still, uh, you know, again, just to reiterate, I'm not knocking them for having other good players on the team. Drysaddle, sure. What Drysaddle did this season, anytime you're scoring over 100 points, I don't care. I'm impressed. It's to, to do it in this league in this modern era, it, it's become much more difficult. Defensemen are better. Goalies are better. Hats off to him. Uh, I'm taking. Yeah. I'm taking Dry Seidel. Me too. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Seattle. They they released the jerseys. They released the logo. Released the Kraken. It's out there. You hate it. Tell me why. I just. I I, I don't know. I just uh, I don't I don't really love it. I I think like when Vegas came out. I think. The Golden Knights, I think that was a good name. I think it played to kind of that city. I, I just don't – I don't see how Kraken plays to Seattle. I understand the color scheme similar to the Mariners and kind of, I guess, a little bit to the Seahawks. So I, I didn't mind the color scheme per se, but I would have liked something. Um I guess like a like a like a real thing, I guess. I guess. <laughs> so you're, you're with Pat. Pat said this on the radio show. Pat was not a fan of the mythical creature route. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, okay, but what about them not doing the plural thing where it's like the penguins, the bulls, where it's just the kraken? There's no S at the end. There's only a handful of teams in sports that do that. Do you like that at least? Um, or you don't care? Does it matter to you? That doesn't bug me as much. I just would rather have something. Like what? what's what's their – so What's their little ma- mascot, like what is the mascot? I mean, what is the logo? I mean, is it just an S? Like, what are we doing? Are we putting an I? What are we doing here? We'll talk about the logo. The logo is an S, and that's to pay respects to the Seattle Metropolitans, the first American team to win the Stanley Cup way back in the day, uh, and their heritage with hockey there. Um, it's also, it looks to me like it's a little bit of a wave, and inside the wave is the tentacle arm of the Kraken, which we all know is a giant squid, and then they stuck that little red eyeball in there for that menacing look. Now, yeah. I said on Twitter that I, I I didn't hate the logo, but I thought it should be more of a secondary logo. And I actually like their secondary logo, which is an anchor. And then the top part of the anchor is the uh, Seattle Space Needle. So like Pat and I got to thinking and talking about it. And I actually saw, if you go to, I think it's TSN's Instagram, someone has a tattoo of this, of what Pat and I were thinking, to be honest. You wrap that S, that tentacle S, around that anchor and kind of incorporate the two together, I think that's a good logo. And I think that's what they should have went with. 
But, you know, I, I said, I don't hate it, and I think it'll grow on me. I'm super critical. Everyone knows that. Um, I get it. I get where they were coming from. I don't mind the mythical creature name. I think it's cool. I think it's a little bit different than what everyone else is doing. Um, love the color scheme. But I'm excited to get a new team in the league. It's the same expansion rules as what Vegas did, so you can expect them to be competitive. I think people are going to be highly disappointed, to be honest now. I think Vegas set the bar very high if that Seattle team isn't super competitive, and I don't think they're going to do what Vegas did and go on that run. Uh, but I think they will uh, push for playoffs, and I think they'll 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 raise some eyebrows around the league. It's And, I mean, their arena is going to be wild and different. It's the Climate Pledge Arena that Bezos gave a bunch of money to, and it's going to be all recyclable and – and clean energy and recycled rainwater and all, and all kinds of shit like that. And super interesting, uh, you know, something to keep an eye on. It's always exciting when you get a new team coming to the league and shake things up. 32nd franchise. Um, Kraken, baby. I, I, I could see how you would be skeptical, but I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be a good thing. I'm skeptical of a lot of things. Let's I know. be honest here. Right? I know. And, and I can tell I didn't do a good enough thing. job selling you, but that's okay. You'll come around. You will. I, yeah, I might. I might. But, you know, it's just I, I, I like real things. I don't really like, uh, you know, mythical creature type movies and TV shows. And what, 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 do, you, what, do, you, what do we call that? What is that? Uh, fiction. When it, when you, when, yeah, is it fiction? Is that what you yeah. call it? Yeah, but, I mean, come on. It's yeah. sports. I don't really it's supposed like to be fun. Stuff, period. It's sports. It's fun. Let's have some yeah, fun with but it. But I still, I still want like just like a real mascot. I don't I'm, need. I'm come all on. about we don't like need Benny a... the Bull or the old Chicago Bulls coming on the court. I don't want some stupid little op- octopus. It's with a giant squid. Have some respect and like terrorizing people. Like, I don't want Ursula from the Little Mermaid popping all out right. of Bezos Arena. We don't need another bird. We don't need a team named after another farm animal. You know, let's get let's get imaginative. Let's get exotic. I like it. I'm all aboard. Release the goddamn Kraken. Here we go. Uh, bigger. I shouldn't say bigger. Well, I guess it is bigger news too. A lot of news popping off this week. But the NHL basically unveiled their plans for Edmonton and Toronto. Uh, what the players will have to go through when they check in. What they'll have available to them as far as access and amenities upon check in. And a couple other little fun little tweaks and things. Let's go through. I took a bunch of notes, so let's see what you think about some of this stuff. Uh, first of all, no dress code, which is nice. You know, give the guys a break. They don't have to wear suits. They don't have to bring uh, 40 suits with them into these hotels. So I think that's going to be cool, too. You get to see a little bit more of the players' personalities, a chance to express themselves a little bit. Like you normally see in the NBA where it's kind of like a fashion show when they walk in. And I know the NBA is not really doing that so much in the bubble, but here we go. No suits for the boys. Let them wear a T-shirt. Let them wear... Something interesting into the into the games if they want. Uh, do you guys have to dress up super business like for games? So last year was the first time where I didn't have to wear at least a coat and tie. Um, you know, new age, Cliff Kingsbury yep. thing, and that kind of younger Loafers, mindset, I guess. Slacks. And uh, yeah, so all all we had to do was like, you know, we could wear whatever we wanted, but it just had to be like. Uh, like not super casual. We couldn't wear like gym shorts and like sandals. So, like you had to like have like closed toed type shoes. You had yeah. to have at least jeans on and like a nice outfit. But like you didn't. This was the first time in my career where I didn't have to wear a, a coat and a tie. Gotcha. Um, for uh, this was and it made a difference. I must say really? that it did make a difference because you're so much more comfortable on a plane. There's so many times where you know you hop on that plane in a suit and especially being in the desert. You know you play oh, a yeah. September game. You hop on that plane. It's it's hot as hell. You're sitting there sweating. 
everything's sweaty and then you got to wear that same suit to the game the next day or you know because most of the times i was i I'm, I'm very minimalist i don't like to pack an extra suit or like a no, bunch of stuff tell. like let's just wear the same suit i wore there to the game and keep it moving especially you you are a big sweaty beast um yeah there was an article on the athletic that talked about what the players were going to do upon check-in and for toronto uh, teams arriving by charter, there's no quarantine requirement, but for five days, the individuals can only participate in essential work. Uh, I'm interested in what it is deemed as essential work and interact with their traveling party. For players traveling commercial, there's a four-day quarantine in their hotel room until four daily uh, COVID-19 tests come back negative. And I know they're supposed to be doing same-day results on the tests, so not too bad there. Uh, they're going to have 40 acre grounds in, uh, in Toronto, and they're going to have access to the Toronto Raptors training facility, the OVO athletic center, shout out Drake, the Toronto Marley's home rink, the Coca-Cola Coliseum will serve as practice facility. And then the Leafs multi-pad practice facility, the Ford performance center. So I think it, I think it works out to like four or five practice rinks. They'll have access to something like 15 gyms. They'll be able to work out in. And then on the other side of the Toronto bubble, they're turning BMO Field, which is where the MLS team plays, into like an outdoor rec area where players can go eat, work out, hang out, whatever they want to do in there. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, it's definitely – I think they're kind of handling this as well as anybody really so far. I think they're have, – they have to be the mold, right? I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think baseball is going to run into some issues because they're still traveling. Yep. And – um, basketball has their own little bubble. I think they're doing a solid job too. But I think football and baseball are going to have a few more obstacles to deal with because you got travel. And it's going to be interesting to see with football because, again, I don't know how baseball is doing it, but I know football, like, players are going to be allowed to stay at their houses, right? Like, they're not doing uh-huh. hotels for training camps. They're not doing anything like that. So it's like, you know, there, there's a ton more risk and obstacles that they're going to have to come, you know, be able to beat. But, you know, I think the NHL has done so well with these two hub cities and actually taking advantage of the cities and being able to use multiple areas for multiple things. So I think that, I think they've done a heck of a job kind of setting that thing up. Now the one hotel in Toronto has an underground tunnel that actually connects to uh, Scotiabank arena. So guys have an easy route to go back to the hotel or to the arena. Uh, don't have to interact with public, even though everything's gonna be fenced off anyways. Uh, the other one, they will have to shuttle to and from, but the other hotel seems to have a nicer setup. Uh, it's got a, a rooftop pool, uh, 250 feet movie theater in it, uh, 56 seat screening room, 90,000 square foot fitness facility, four tennis courts, eight squash courts, uh, mm. hot yoga studio, basketball court. And then I think they got some golf sims set up. And then after 14 days of being in the secure zone in the bubbles, the guys will be allowed to travel to like golf courses around the area and play golf and whatnot. So sounds like pretty good. I think they took a look at what the NBA did. Uh, saw what they had going on for some of those guys down there and probably tried to work to implement some of that. And uh, seems like it's going to be pretty cool. They also have, um, for the in-game experience, I was reading about this, they tried to they tried to accommodate each team and give them a little bit of their home flavor, and they allowed them to record like pregame ceremonies and uh, intros and whatnot with whether it be your own anthem singer that you wanted to have sing the anthem. Uh, I know the Blue Jackets are going to be able to have a recording of their cannon shooting off in the arena when they get goals scored. So just a little something to just make these guys feel a little more comfortable and, and kind of juice up the atmosphere, even though there's not going to be people inside. There's some illustrations you can see on Twitter of what the arena is supposed to look like. They've, they've cooked it up pretty good with some LED screens and some lights and whatnot. 
I know they're adding extra cameras. They usually use about 20 cameras, which was mind-blowing to me because you only normally see like two or three angles of a normal right. hockey game. But they got about 20 cameras. Normally, they're they're going with 32 this time. So hopefully we'll get the sky cam going too so we can follow the play up and down the ice. You're going to have the, all the LED screens around the outside. Um, it, should be, it should be pretty sweet. Uh, and, and then they're going to run a five-second delay because they they don't want to catch hot mics with guys swearing, but I think some stuff's still going to squeak through. So I don't want to discourage. I don't want to sound discouraged or ruin anyone's fun there. But I think you'll still get a nice inside look behind the. We saw this on baseball the other night. If you watched uh, the Yankees Nationals, um, Max Scherzer right after he had a home run get hit off of him, dropped a goddamn uh, almost immediately. So some stuff's going to get through. You'll still hear some altercations, but they're going to do their best to clean it up at least. I think it should be fully uncensored, but I get it. FCC bullshit, blah, 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 blah. Agree. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be pretty cool for the NHL. I mean, you don't, you know, for for a league that's trying to gain popularity amongst the fans, right? I think this is going to kind of give a little better insight because you and I have seen it. We've seen a lot of behind the scenes stuff, and we we love the chirping that goes on oh, yeah. you know, amongst benches or even on the ice, or um, you know, a lot of that stuff. And I mean, I think uh, what is it the, the all access Stanley Cup stuff that goes on on like HBO or Showtime or whatever? I think that stuff's always gives you like a pretty good behind the scenes look at some of that stuff, which I think is awesome. So I hopefully now you'll be able to get much more of that, you know, weekly and daily and kind of what it goes with every game. Yeah. They're also going to be pumping in some crowd noise. I think they've sampled some sounds and stuff too, from the EA sports NHL game. I just hope they don't overdo it there. You know, I think less is more when it comes to that type of that type of sound, as long as there's some ambient sound, uh, I want to hear the sounds of the game. I want to hear the skates, on that crisp ice. I want to hear the puck banging. I want to hear the boards banging. Um, I want to hear guys calling out for passes and, Hey, hey, head up, reverse, reverse, all that shit. Um, A couple other things to note. The NHL's got more than a thousand cases of Gatorade, a thousand practice pucks and 12,000 shower tails for each hub city. They've also set up a concierge service. So these guys can order food or, uh, if they need medication or whatnot uh, from a pharmacy, they'll have basically a runner to go and get it so they don't have to de- interact with leaving the bubble or player or uh, delivery people coming up to the bubble. They'll have kind of a middleman service there, which was smart. Uh, we saw that in the NBA. One of the guys had to be quarantined because he went out to go get some Postmates out of the, the parking lot, which was hilarious to me. Um, digging through my notes here. There's so much information on this stuff. Tor- Toronto's an unbelievable food city. I'm going to throw that out there. Shout out yeah. to team. Got to get some poutine up there. Yeah, big time poutine, big time uh, Canadian delight. All right, now uh, let's get to the actual action on the ice. Uh, let's go through each qualifying round series, talk about what we like, what we don't like, who we think is going to win. And uh, we got all the odds here from FanDuel as well if you want to lay some bets down. I know I'm going to. They've been doing some risk-free $100 stuff that's that's pretty cool right now if you're first-time better. Uh, you can feel good about just throwing some money around and, and you know, you're not going to lose. You're going to get it back. So first up, we have the Arizona Coyotes and the Nashville Predators. Arizona's plus 110 as the underdog. Nashville, the favorite at minus 134. Uh, just a couple notes. Arizona, uh, not led in scoring by Taylor Hall. Not by Phil Kessel, as you might expect. They're two offensive workhorses there. It's actually Nick Schmaltz with uh, 11 goals, 45 points. Solid, boy, Schmaltzy. Yeah, solid but not spectacular on the back end, Oliver ekman Larson, And in goal, uh, I think they expected Anthony Ranta to be the guy, but Darcy Kemper actually had arguably the better year uh, as he was in third in save percentage with 928. Um, Nashville, on the other end, 
their offense, they got a lot of guys and they do it a lot of different ways. They don't really have one main source. You you got um, Philip Forsberg. You had uh, Matthew Shane come over and he, you know, he didn't quite light it up as people probably expected, but uh, their their offense pretty much runs through the back end with Roman Yossi on the blue line, their captain. Uh, 65 points in 69 games from the blue line is pretty fucking impressive. And then Pecorine, the usual workers, workhorse stalwart and goal, probably one of his worst, actually, are, they look definitely fucking atrocious. the worst season of his career with an 895 yeah. save percentage. Uh, they might turn to UC Soros to start. Maybe they go with Pekka because of the experience. I don't know. Uh, but they're favorited at 134. I like Nashville in this series just because of the experience. Arizona, bit of a younger team, don't really have the depth that Nashville has. Uh, even with the questions in goal and the upstart in Darcy Kemper and Anthony Ranta, I don't like Arizona's chances. And then you look at things like the special teams, though. Uh, Nashville, not great. Uh, Bad. 25th in the NHL on the power play and 29th on the penalty kill, which is trouble because Arizona is 5th on the PK and uh, eight, a respectable 18th on the power play. So if you're putting money down, I I think Nashville minus 134 is good value. I don't expect them to sweep, but I do expect them to win. Yeah, no, I think Nashville wins. I think you hit it on the net. I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. I think depth is going to be key, right? You look from top to bottom. I mean, you got guys who won Stanley Cups, former Penguin Nick Benino on arguably a third or fourth line mm-hmm. for them, right? I mean, and, and he's able to kind of carry those types of lines. So, And they got tons of talent. It's just, you know, this is a team that literally, you know, was a Stanley Cup team a couple of years ago and, you know, had the best record in the West, you know, two years ago, whatever it was. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, it just didn't click this year. I don't know if it was letting, you know, some guys go or maybe just some pieces coming in that didn't click. Uh, probably Duchenne being the asshole that he is coming in and kind of ruining the locker room. That's, that's my <laughs> guess. That's my call on him. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do agree, though, that the Predators are going to end up pulling this one away. I don't think the Coyotes get nearly the production they wanted out of their big-name guys that they made, you know, acquisitions over the offseason and then getting Taylor Hall during the season. Um, but yeah, I definitely think Predators are the answer here. Yeah, Predators are deep down the middle. Now, they don't have that like huge number one center that a lot of teams have, but they have like just quality depth there. Because you mentioned Nick Benino, and that's not even to mention uh, Kyle Turris and Ryan yep. Johansson, and then Duchesne can play center as well. So uh, that's what you need in the playoffs. You need strength down the middle of the ice, and they have it in spades. Uh, they've underachieved recently, and I don't know why. I don't know if it was coaching. I don't know if it was locker room fit. We've talked about this on past episodes, but I like them to pull this out here. Uh, let's move on to the next series. We got the Blackhawks uh, underdogs at plus 134, taking on the Oilers, heavy favorites here at minus 164. Uh, this one's going to be all offense. New teams play defense that well. Uh, the Blackhawks give up a ton of shots, 35.1 per game. That was the worst in the league. Uh, they're currently without Calvin DeHaan and uh, Connor Murphy, a couple of their top six blue liners. Uh, Patrick Kane. What can you say about him? Still one of the best offensive presences in the league. And then Jonathan Taves kind of had a resurgence in the offensive zone this season. He was on pace for 70 points. Uh, Corey Crawford right now is still listed as out. They're undecided if he's going to make the trip and play with the team for the run. I, I, I think he will, but, I mean, unless he can get cleared medically and figure it out, they're going to be rolling with Malcolm Subban and Colin D'Elia with a uh, total of zero playoff minutes combined. Uh, so that that worries me. Chicago already had problems on the back end going in. If Cor- if Crawford's not there, I don't I, I don't know if they'll win a game. I mean, I guess you could argue that the shootouts anything can happen. 
with just two offensive juggernauts trading blows. But if, if this is the way we're going, um, I like Edmonton. Ryan, without even mentioning McDavid and Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins had the best point per game output of his career. Uh, Zach Cashin's playing that power forward role. James Neal kind of picked up his scoring pace again with uh, his 11th 20-goal season. And then in that, I'd expect Miko Koskinen to get the start. He was solid, 917 save percentage. And then Mike Smith, the backup. Uh, who's got the playoff experience has been throughout uh, a couple runs there before special teams Oilers 29% on the power play that was first in the league uh, I expect them to do heavy heavy damage if uh, if Chicago goes in the box at all and then Chicago's uh, 28th power play in the league uh, the Oilers also pretty good on the penalty kill at second in the league at 84% which was surprising to me but uh, that's good team fundamental hockey right there Chicago ninth so I'm taking the Oilers uh, heavy, maybe a sweep. I don't know, but I'm, I'm all in on the Oilers. I agree. Oilers, Oilers, Oilers. I mean, I think they're uh, one of the top teams in this little play. In, uh, I mean, across the board, right? I mean, I think they got a ton of offensive production from the guys that we've obviously mentioned a bunch already. You see some clips of, you know, some of their practices already. McDavid doesn't look like he missed a beat. It's unbelievable. I mean, he's, flying around looks like he's even faster almost i mean doing things with the puck like he's already in mid-season form so watch out for the oilers i can hear zed already out there he's listening to the show out there in the uh, main office like oh 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 come on oh oh, oh. sorry z blackhawk down hey z the blackhawks have olimata they got no fucking chance <laughs> one of your all-time favorites Oli Mata, former Penguin. All right, moving on to the next series. We have the Columbus Blue Jackets taking on the hometown Toronto Maple Leafs. Columbus, underdog in this series at plus 136. But I'll say this, no one knows how to hunker down and play some tight defensive hockey in the playoffs like a John Tortorella coach team, and especially this Blue Jackets team, who, similar to the Blue, similar to Nashville, doesn't have like all that high-end offensive talent, but they got a lot of solid depth of guys who can play good two-way hockey. They don't have uh, flashy goaltending either with Bobrovsky, who's no longer there. He's in Florida, even though his numbers kind of stunk in the playoffs anyways, he until that run they went on and, and beat Tampa last year. But they just play that tight physical checking two-way shot blocking game that can frustrate a real skill team like toronto um torts he keeps saying he doesn't know who's going to start but i find it hard to believe he's going to start anyone other than uh, elvis merzlikens who had this incredible rookie season and uh seth jones and zach Wierenski is about as good as you can get as a defensive pair on the back end for toronto Again, minus 166. Unreal offensive talent. Can't say enough about this. They, they were messing around at practice with um, Mitch Marner, Tavares, and Matthews all in the same line. If they roll that out at all, it's like this nuclear option. It's, it's devastating and dangerous. Um, but can they defend? Can they defend as forwards? Can their, can their top six defenders defend? I don't know. It seems like Morgan Riley's the only one on the back end that really presents that, that name value from across the league where, okay, yeah, that guy's a stud. Uh, and then Freddie Anderson, I just don't trust. I saw some clips of him looking great in practice. I still just don't trust him when the playoffs come down to it. Uh, and this was already a tough season for him. Career low with a 909 save percentage. Uh, getting in the special teams, Toronto, fifth in the NHL on the power play. Columbus was 27th. That's not helping Columbus's case at all. But penalty kill, Toronto was 21st and Columbus was 12th. I am calling an upset here, and I'm taking the Blue Jackets because I like the value at plus 136 as a betting man. Uh, what do you think? I was 
right on board with you. I mean, I'm I'm Blue Jackets. I mean, we've had we've had the luxury of watching them in the first round against the Penguins for the last couple of years. Tough and they play team. tough. I mean, they play tough. I mean, they haven't got the goaltending out of Bobrovsky that I think they've wanted in those series. But like you said, uh, Elvis had a run, you know, there for a while that people were like, okay, cool. Like we got a better goaltender now, yep. right? I mean, this was uh, no tears over Bob in the background. I apologize for that. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I'm going with the Blue Jackets. I think they got a ton of talent. They've had a ton of talent, and their back end is awesome, especially on the power play. Seth Jones and you know a couple of those blue liners do a heck of a job on that on that power play. They still got a ton of talent on offense, like they've always had. And mm-hmm. Torch is you know a tough nosed coach and knows how to win in the playoffs. And like you said, I think Toronto struggled in the playoffs. And you, you know, whenever Freddie Anderson's in goal, you, it's it's no it's no guarantee by any means. So, Crapshoot. Um, I'm going Blue Jackets as well. Look at us on the same page. Uh, this next one was tough. This was probably the hardest one I had to uh, try and figure out here. The Florida Panthers at minus 102, uh, according to FanDuel, and the New York Islanders at minus 120. So this is tight. Uh, the Islanders swept the Penguins last year, as we know. That was a heartbreaker. Um, then the next round, they were then swept by Carolina. In uh, Florida, expected a big change with Coach Q. They bring in Bobrovsky. They signed that huge deal, $10 million a year. But kind of the same results as the past couple years have been, you know, it's almost solid but not spectacular. Uh, you know, they got a couple guys in Barkov and Huberdo, but, but they lost a big one in Trocheck. Yep, and then uh, Evgeny Dadanov, the younger guy, still, you know, they they got some offense, they got some punch, they can score. Uh, like a lot of these teams, though, the question is, can they defend? Um, defense is suspect but they can move the puck from the back end and they can score from the back end. It's just defending is an issue for Florida. Uh, do you rely on that veteran presence of coach Q and an unknown atmosphere in the playoffs? Uh, but then you got you're going against this Islanders team with Barry Trotz, who is well coached. Um, you know, they have Matty Barzell, who's their main offensive guy. He's the engine there, but they also have a couple other guys who can put the puck in the net and Brock Nelson and, uh, fucking, that slap dick that went top shelf all the time against the Penguins. What's his name? Anders Lee. Yeah. Uh, and fucking Bavillier. Sorry, I dropped my That's pen. That's it. Bavillier. Dropped my marker. I got marker on my pants. God damn it. Um, and then, you, you know, you look at net for the Islanders. A little bit iffy because you got Verlamov and Grice. Grice has been there for a while now. Neither one of those guys jumps out at you on paper or passes the eye test in terms of oh my god they can steal a series they can steal a game pretty good tandem but you know are you going to start one and then play the other do you, do you roll with one do you roll with Varlamov do you roll with Grice I don't know I uh you look at special teams Florida 10th in the NHL in the power play the Islanders we know they they have guys but scoring as a team still a struggle to them tied for 24th in the NHL in the power play penalty kill Florida was 20th Islanders 15 but the Islanders seem to always pick it up in the playoffs and they have that counter punch they're very good shorthanded I am taking the Islanders just because I, I like Barry Trotz's system when it comes to playoffs I like that they've been uh, more cohesive they've been together longer they kind of have that attitude of us against the world I think Florida is a little bit too top heavy for the, for uh, a series like this, and I think uh, I think it's the Islanders to win. We're, we're we're not deferring on very much right now, buddy. I got the Islanders as well. I think I've watched Bobrovsky melt time and time again in the playoffs. I do not trust that guy. In not the one playoffs. bit. Not one bit. And 
I love Trotz. I think he does a heck of a job game planning. He had an unbelievable game plan against the Penguins and, and the way to kind of frustrate them last year. I remember watching that and the way that they kind of just pack it in on defense. They, they run a great fourth line. It's kind of that agitator line. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they still have a ton of talent up front offensively. And, again, with their coaching and with their talent and with their experience, um, I think the Islanders win this one as well. Yeah, and I think Florida has one of the most underrated players in the league in Sasha Barkov, who's probably one of the best two-way players. I just don't know if there's enough offensive punch there to carry them through that tough Islanders good defensive system. Um, I'll be I'll be surprised, but you never know with Coach Q. He can pull a rabbit out of his hat, uh, and he if Bobrovsky can pick it up and play, and maybe this time off did him some good. They can be dangerous, but uh, I got to go with tried, true, and proven in the Islanders. Uh, this next one, pretty tough, too. Uh, the Minnesota Wild at plus 102, taking on the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Devin Dubnik really struggled this year in goal for the Wild. He was 55th in save percentage and 57th in goals against. Ryan Suter, though, from the back end, was on pace to score career high in points. Uh, they got a lot of good offense and jump from the back end. Jared Spurgeon, 32 points. Jonas Brodine, 28 points. Matt Dumba, 24 points after a slow start. So a lot of their a lot of their offense is going to come from the blue line. They're forwards. They got some good depth. But again, this is a common theme. They don't have that those real true over-the-top playmakers. You know, Zach Parise is much older now. Uh, they got a lot of uh, they got a lot of mediocre, a lot of good, not great talent. So it's going to be tough for them to find scoring, to manufacture scoring. You look on the other end, the Canucks, though, they have the clear advantage when it comes to offense. You're talking about Elias Pettersson, one of the best young players in the league, Brock Besser, a fucking sniper, and uh, JT Miller. Then they've also got, you know, uh, that second-tier, second-tier scoring, like Bo Horvat, Tyler Toffoli, and Vertanen. And then Tanner Pearson had a short little stint with the Penguins. We know he's got a sick a sick, wicked wrist shot. He can he can fill the net a little bit here and there. And then Quinn Hughes in the back end up for rookie of the year. Great puck mover. Good offense from him. And then they still got the old reliable Alex Edler chipping in 33 points this year. And then probably the biggest surprise, Jacob Markstrom in that respectable, solid 918 save percentage. Uh, Canucks have the edge when it comes to special teams, too. 24, 24% of the power play, 80% of the penalty kill. The Wild only 21% of the power play, 77% on the PK. I'm taking the Canucks, and I'm taking them to sweep. I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, I got the Canucks too. I don't, I don't know about a sweep, but I do agree. It's tough. It's tough when you have a seven footer in goal with Dubnik. I mean, he's, he's like, I think he's six six or yeah, something Marstrom's like that. Yeah, Marstrom's pretty big boy he's too. Just, he's, he's, he's had a rough year. He struggled. Um, last couple of years, really. I mean, they've they've put some faith in him, but I really don't think he's been, you know, anywhere near an average goaltender in the last couple of years and. Um, that's going to kill you in the playoffs. I mean, at the end of the day, you can you can have an average game, but if your goaltender stands on his head, you win games, right? But I don't think they're ever going to be able to sit there and count on Dubnik to stand on his head and win games for them. So um, too much talent with Vancouver. They move forward. Next up, this one you've been waiting for. I know you're excited. The Montreal Canadiens, heavy dogs at plus 166, taking on the Pittsburgh Penguins, the only $2 favorite at minus 205 in the qualifying round. The Canadians. Uh, Carey Price has been one of the best goalies. He's definitely the goalie of this generation. He's been one of the best goalies in the league for years. He's getting up there in age a little bit. And the team around him isn't quite what it once was. 
He was 27, 25, and 6 this year with 2.79 goals against and a 909 save percentage in 58 games. Uh, in his career against the Penguins, 33 games against the Penguins, he's 13, 14, and 5 with a 2.95 goals against and a 907 save percentage. Kind of pedestrian. Uh, he was 1, 1, and 1 against them this year with a 929 save percentage, though, which is pretty damn good. Uh, for the Canadians, you know, we, we found out Max Domi's going to play. He had diabetes, so there were some questions about whether he was going to join the team in the bubble. He's in there. Brendan Gallagher is the heart and soul type guy. The the playoffs are built for him, even though he's a little undersized, but he gets to the Wicked front of the net. Wicked slap shot. Gritty, Wicked slap shot. Gritty guy. Can't say enough about him. Uh, 61 points in 68 games for Thomas Tatar, who's been a surprise, steady offensive powerhouse for them. So they don't have many guys that can score, but they do have a few, and they're good playoff performers. You look at Pittsburgh, our hometown Penguins on the other end. Jason Zucker, by all counts, is meshing beautifully with Evgeny Malkin. It looks like he's going to play with Malkin. Uh, Gino was having a great bounce-back year this year. We know he came into the year motivated, physically fit, ready to go. Um, the question for the Penguins is Crosby's health right now because he's missed some time in the practices and scrimmages, but it seems like he's okay, just a minor thing. And then in net. Back on the ice today. He's back yep. on the ice today. We're good. And then in net, the, the million-dollar question for the Penguins is going to be Matt Murray or Tristan Jari. I think Murray's probably going to get the start. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they play Jari in the second game or Murray's on a quick leash. Uh, Murray had probably the worst year so far of his professional career, only an 899 save percentage. Couldn't get anything really going, couldn't string things together. Uh, Jari played great, made the all-star game, 921 save percentage. Special teams, Pittsburgh 16th on the power play. Uh, Montreal 22nd. Penalty kill, Pittsburgh 10th in the league. Montreal 19th. Everything about this screams Penguin sweep to me, and that's not me being a homer. Vegas agrees with that heavy, heavy $2 favorite status. I'm taking the Penguins. Maybe they lose a game to Montreal, but they should be able to get through this, even if they decided for whatever reason to sit Crosby a game or two just to make sure he's completely safe, 100% healthy. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I love I love what's going on with this Penguins team. Um, I'm trying to get you to disagree with me, but I'm too smart, I know. Towards the end, right? But now you get Gensel back. Huge. You pair him with Crosby and which was arguably the best line in the playoffs a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Then you're able to move Zucker down to the second line with Malkin and Rust. And then a third line of Hornquist, Marlowe, and Jared McCann, who's a 20-goal scorer. Oh, yeah. So you got a ton of offense on this Penguins team. And they might have, you know, with this quarantine, getting Gensel back and getting some guys healthy Doom on the back end man. as well. They might have been able to kind of put themselves in a position where they, they could make a run at this thing. I'm not Again, I'm not being a homer. I'm just be, I'm speaking the truth at this point. Um, my one question mark is Matt Murray. I called you the other day during an intra-squad scrimmage saying he's looking as bad as ever. Only, yeah, only you. Oh, he's getting lit up in scrimmage. Gives, it's a scrimmage. He's getting lit up. Of, a lot of time to sit back and watch intra-squad scrimmages over here, Nick. But, I, uh, again, on the other side, Carey Price, he's one of those guys that can steal a series because of how good he is. So, I mean, Vegas obviously sees something. They're seeing a lot of the same things we're seeing. Um, Montreal is a capable team, and if they get the right goaltending at the right time, they got a chance. But I think all signs are pointing to Pittsburgh kind of running away with this thing. Another thing you got to look at, too, I think uh, Montreal finished something like 15 points behind Pittsburgh uh, in the point standing. You got to, I'll be honest, I'm questioning the motivation of Montreal to be there because even if somehow, some way, they were managed to pull off an upset and sneak past Pittsburgh in the first round, how far do those guys in their own heads believe they can go? 
You know what I mean? Are they are they are they that committed to yeah. playing winning hockey and being there? Or are they just looking at this like, all right, let's go in there, do what we gotta do, and then we can go back home to our families and live the rest of the summer out until the next season starts? Because you know, that's probably not a thing for professional athletes in a normal situation. But with everything that's going on and the craziness that's happened, that's got to be in the back of some of those guys' minds. It just has to. There's no way. There's no way of avoiding that. I don't care how mentally strong you are. Uh, I agree. All right. Next one is the Rangers, who were, goddamn, one of the hottest teams in the league before things got shut down, taking on the Carolina Hurricanes, who went on quite the run last year, and who kind of cooled off a little bit this year. Uh, so. The Rangers, underdogs at plus 112, but I think a lot of people are picking the Rangers in this series, and uh, it has a lot to do with Artemi Panarin with his 95 points, and then Mika Zibanejad, who kind of just emerged out of nowhere coming over from Ottawa as the Rangers guy, and he's got 75 points and 41 goals in 57 games. And you know They brought in Jacob Truba in the offseason. Everyone thought he was going to be the guy on defense, but really... Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of attention's gone to Adam Fox, the rookie defenseman from Harvard. I think he's from Harvard. At least forty-two points in seventy games. Uh, so the Rangers expected to be rebuilding, weren't expected to make the playoffs this year. Made this big push near the end, and then get in with the with the results of the season being stopped in this tournament. They could do some damage here. Taking on the Hurricanes, Hurricanes favorites at one thirty-six. Oh, let's talk about Rangers goaltending. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so Lundqvist. King Henry still hanging in there as basically the third string now. He started the season with uh, him and Georgiev, but Igor Shosturkin came in over from Russia and kind of popped up out of the AHL out of nowhere, really, and went 10-2 and with a 9.32 save percentage. Um, he was the hot hand before the season started, so David Quinn, the coach, has got some questions on who he wants to roll with in goal. Uh, practice will tell you, I guess it will give you your best inclination, but I would not be surprised if they started the young guy, Shosturkin. And uh, Hank had to take a seat. But the Hurricanes, a lot more depth than they know what to do with on the back end. Uh, Sammy Vatnin, Brady Shea, former Ranger, Dougie Hamilton, Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, Jake Gardner. Those are all guys that any team would love to have in their top four. And the Hurricanes have so many, they're spilling over into their bottom pair. And that is where their question arises. Peter Mrazek hasn't had the best year. Uh, 894 save percentage. They got James Reimer to back him up. Solid backup, but, you know, he's not going to steal any games. He's not going to be the guy you want to rely on. they got to play good team defense and rely on the back end to really juice things for them. Power play, New York has the advantage, but not by much. Uh, seventh in the NHL, Carolina was right there at eighth. Penalty kill, uh, the Rangers 23rd in the NHL, Carolina fourth. So, you look not much of a special teams advantage. You're relying solely, if you're the Rangers, on Panarin. And Zabenejad to carry you. Can they pull off the upset? A lot of people are on them. I just don't know. I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna join. I'm gonna join the bandwagon here. I'm, I'm taking the Rangers upset the Hurricanes. This is the first one we disagree on. I'm going with the Canes. I had to talk myself think, into that. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think they got too much talent. I mean, I really do, and I think this is a team that. You know, I think they expected to be better kind of going into the trade deadline than they were early on in the season, and they went all in at the deadline. I mean, they went after some guys. They kind of I mean, made a shakeup. Tr- yeah. Didn't they pull Trocheck out of Florida? Uh, Florida. They got him, they, and they made some. They made some big moves on the back end, and um, 
this is definitely a situation where I think this team kind of uh, improved at the deadline. And then, you know, we have this little quarantine and hopefully those guys are able to kind of, you know, be in a better situation than they were at the deadline. And I think this is a team that's going to get past the Rangers. And that's a team that I think was so hot going into the deadline. And that's the thing. There's them. There was the Flyers who were super, super hot going yep. into the quarantine. I mean, I'm sorry, not the deadline. But how are those teams going to be when they come out? You have no idea. Yeah. Everything. I mean, sports are such a momentum world. And when that momentum gets stopped, where do you, where does it, does it pick up where it left off or does it not? And I think only time will tell here soon. I'm buying in. I'm hoping uh, the Rangers goalie is just young and dumb enough to just, you know, block out everything and keep rolling right where he left off and, and fight through it. Uh, finally, the last one we're looking at here. We're not going to, uh, I should mention, we're not going to do any of the round robin games. We're not going to talk about them because the odds aren't listed and, uh, you know, no one's going home there. The seeding is important. Those are, those games are for the seeding, uh, which we know they do reseed after each round. That's definitely going to be important. We'll get into that a little bit more next week. But this last series for the play in the qualifying games, winner go home, is Winnipeg at plus 104, the underdog taking on the Flames at minus 128. So two years ago, the Jets looked like they were the next potential dynasty in the NHL. A lot of young talent, scoring, exciting to watch, up and down the ice, good on defense, good in net. Now, big question mark. You know, they, they kind of struggled a little bit this year. And in Calgary two years ago was dominant regular season team finished first or second in the Western conference and looked like they were the team to beat uh, Winnipeg after losing Truba and Dustin Bufflin on the back end, some question marks. Uh, they, they kind of attempted to just retool on the fly with add Neil Pionk in the Truba deal. And then they get Dylan DeMello from Ottawa. And then they just still without Truba, they don't have like that number one guy. And without Buffalo, obviously they don't have like the number one defenseman or a guy who can act in that number one role and eat all those minutes. Uh, Connor Hellebuck's doing it all for them in that 922 save percentage, six shots, pretty damn good. But he started 56 of 58 games. I mean, this is their guy. They go as Hellebuck goes. So if he's on, they can, they can, they can make a run and they can push through here. But if he just struggles even a little bit, they're going to have a problem. The Flames, meanwhile, on the other end, uh, 20th in the league with 2.91 goals per game. They, they, they struggle to score, and they had a lot of offensive talent. It's another situation where Nashville, where they have a lot of guys who can score. They have Johnny Gaudreau, who should be that number one driving force of offense, but he, he just for whatever reason, I don't know if he wants to be there. I don't know if he wants out. There's been some talk of him wanting out and a new deal and all that. I don't know what it is, but uh, he had his worst scoring rate of a six-year career this season. Uh, also in that, David Riddich, pretty pedestrian this year, with a .907 save percentage. Uh, and then backup Ken Talbot, nothing to write home about. Power play, Calgary 12th in the NHL, Winnipeg 15th in the NHL. We know Winnipeg on the power play is dangerous. Shifley and Line A, two legit snipers in the league. And then penalty kill, Calgary 8th in the NHL, Winnipeg uh, 22nd in the NHL. I'm going to take the Flames as favorites. Uh, I like Winnipeg. I like Line A. I like Shifley. But I think there's just too much talent on the Flames team, and I think they'll figure it out in net as they go. Um, I don't. I don't trust Winnipeg in this situation. Another disagreement here. I, I'm taking the old line A and the boys. I think. Uh, I think this is the year, and I think some time off might do him some good. He's had pressure on him. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, I think maybe if he if he got away and kind of just cleared his head a little bit, maybe this dude comes back and and is the guy that everybody's always expected him to be right. Like he, everybody expected him to kind of be the next big thing after, after that big first year. And then yep. he kind of fizzled out a little bit. Right. But I think 
you know, some time off will, will do him good. I think uh, he comes back, has an incredible series, and inspires that team to kind of move move forward. That's that a good coverage. point. He's one of those guys where uh, the maturity has always been kind of questioned a little bit because I remember him coming to the league. Everyone said, "Oh, he's he's a little too flashy. He's a little too me, 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 me." Uh, but here in a situation like this in the bubble where there's not a lot of distractions, nothing else really to do but focus on hockey, if he can buckle down, he can take over a series. He has that kind of potential and fill the net. Yeah. And uh, it could be it could be the Jets. But I'm taking the Flames. I'm just playing the smart money here. Uh, so to sum it all up here, I got – I think we're in agreement on the first couple. Nashville, Edmonton, Columbus. Uh, the Then the Islanders, Canucks, Montreal – and then I'm taking the Rangers, and you were on the Hurricanes. Montreal. I'm sorry. I just wrote Montreal. Good call. Pittsburgh. We're both Pittsburgh. Jeez. It's late. It's Friday. Look at me. <laughs> I'm taking the Rangers. You're taking the Canes. <laughs> I'm taking the Flames, and you're taking the Winnipeg Jets. Correct. So there it is. Uh, a lot to digest. Probably listen to this on Saturday. Uh, maybe Friday afternoon, depending on when we put this out. Thank you for rocking with us. Uh, get ready. Games are going to start next week, late next week. they got a couple exhibition games. Then they're going to start the round-robin games. And then we're looking at uh, Saturday, August 1st. We're, it, it's kicking off, baby. Qualifying games are a go. Uh, Pittsburgh and Montreal squaring off at 8 p.m. primetime. We'll be at Pat's wedding, so we'll be watching on a cell phone probably. Uh, so we're excited. We're pumped. Thanks for rocking with us. Thanks for joining us. Follow us on Twitter at That's Hockey Talk. Uh, appreciate all you. Cheers.